All right, weekend's episode five. We are back. The boys are back. Getting a lot of great feedback, honestly, on these episodes. And as we go, we're going to start cutting stuff up. We're going to repurpose stuff. But um, yeah, I want to I I sync with you. You've been off the grid for a few days in D.C. How was that? Yeah. Talk through that a little bit. Man, it was amazing. So Northern Virginia, I, like basically just right outside of D.C. That's where I grew up. I still consider it very much my home. I got so much family there. It's crazy. Like probably 50 people in my family that all immigrated from Venezuela, all in the, like the last 20 years. It's like a little Venezuela over there. Um, literally like 50 aunts, uncles, cousins, all sorts of things. So I like I basically met up with every one of them over like the last week. So I have... I've been actually doing nothing but kicking it with family, kicking it with the wife, with the daughter, hanging around. And it was great. Um, we talked last episode about how sometimes we feel like a little bit of anxiety or pressure when we're sort of off the grid to create. But I felt none of that. I think, um, but, you know, I just think hanging out with family is the pinnacle of life. And so I was just like, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, but now it's back to the grind and I'm excited. To, I'm excited to get back to it as well. So that's dope. As a super healthy place, I feel like to be in where you can go do stuff like that, not feel the urge. And then you're able to like switch it back on. Cause I think people, some yeah. people will tell themselves like, Oh, I got to unplug and then they'll unplug, but then they can't replug. Like they don't, they don't have that gear, so, but I can tell you're like ready to go. Yeah, I'm ready, man. I mean, and just like a, another note that I want to make, like I, I, I was thinking about this while I was up there. Cause also like all of my boys, like my day ones are up there as well. So I like got to see them and stuff and like go boxing and I'll do other stuff. Um, and I, I, re I realize, man, I think like no matter where you are in life, no matter, like, it doesn't matter what season in life you're in, like the greatest thing in life is just hanging with family, hanging with the day ones, that kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, man, I think that's why I was just, I didn't think about work. I didn't think about anything else, just like being in that moment. So I loved it. Like the last eight days were bliss, um, but, but ready to get back into it, man. That's dope. All right. So I think the, where we should start is, what's the most pressing stuff on the mind right now? So for me, and I think it's the same for you, is this like idea of monetization as a creator. Yeah. I think that is like getting attention and getting stuff to work is definitely step one. There's a lot of people listening to this that are like, I'll do anything to get it working. But once, once you get it working, like we now know like 20, 30 people that are kind of like in this, I call it like the new wave of media kind of that are like us that have built you know, six figure followings and have had some formats work. They're starting to get the niche going. Level two is like, how do I monetize this? And there's a variety of ways to do it, but like for us in a thoughtful way, I think like it's really important that we maintain max trust, but also like extract some value. Because at the end of the day, if you're not monetizing and you have no other income source, you're not gonna be able to do this forever. And I think like having that, having this real approach to it is gonna be helpful. I have, Absolutely. I've been talking to a lot of people about this. I have like a frame of how I'm thinking about it in terms of, strategically, but I want to hear yours as well. So where do, where do you think we should dive in? This is like a pretty big, pretty meaty topic here. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'd, I'd love to hear how you're thinking about it. I've always thought you're very, very thoughtful in your approach. Um, this is one of those things that is at the same time, again, like a very good problem to have, right? Like there are so many ways to monetize an audience. Uh, which way should we sort of pursue and put all of our energy into by the like it's it's a total privilege and a luxury right like um so again it's like a, a very first world problem but i do think we have sort of cracked that first step like we understand now how to build an audience we know that we have momentum um you know if, if we keep our momentum and consistency i think both you and i are going to be at a million plus in terms of our followings probably honestly in 2024 so like we know that 
part of the game. So now you're right. It's like it's step two. But at the same time, it has to be done very, very thoughtfully because trust can be broken in an instant and takes years, if not forever, to sort of repair. And me reverse engineering, I've been following people that I've admired and they go too, too hard into the monetization. And now I just lay, put them into a category where I'm like subconsciously just swiping through their their stuff because I already know that they're just trying to sell. And so it's very, very tricky. So I'd love to hear your thoughts, man, because I know you're very, very thoughtful in, in your approach. Yeah, and I, I'm the same way where like I've now stamped these people in my head of like, the, I, it's not even like, I don't, I, don't, I don't hate on people in my head for trying to make money because I think that that's like very natural. But I have, if, this, if the signal to noise or like if the noise to signal around the money is too high, it's just like I stamp them and that's it. And like, it's really hard to get that stamp removed. But yeah, the way I'm, th- so this is how I'm thinking of it. Basically, when I started out, step one was get the content working. Step two was build a cash flow source. Step three was use the cash to automate the content. So like my dream is I've got all these different content verticals. The only part of it that I do is the part I love, which is finding what's interesting and like writing that script story from complex to simple, pressing record and being done, right? Like I don't want to do anything else from there. We've talked about like a lot of the storytelling is actually in the edit, which makes it kind of hard for video, right? To offload that. But um, there's varying degrees of ways you can automate. So that was my whole goal. So as I thought about that, I said, or I was thinking, basically, I can't have two jobs right now. I, if, if content is my full-time job, I can't have a second job, which is not overlapping at all with the content. And so like what I mean is, and, and it'd be interesting to get your perspective too, because you you basically do have this where like if I had a SaaS product and then I was full-time content, that's effectively two jobs. So either I wouldn't be able to do both at my premium peak potential or I'd have to go 50-50 on each one. And like, I feel like you've done a good job of making it work. I don't know how active you are in like this on the SaaS side per se, but like for me, if I was starting from scratch on something else that wasn't overlapping, I don't know if I'd be able to do it. More of the story is like, I wouldn't be able to sustain two jobs. So it's if right. whatever the monetization thing needs to be, I needed to overlap as much as possible with my first job, which is content. So because right. of that frame, which I think is like a helpful frame for most people, there are certain things you have to rule out. So like starting a clothing brand, you got to rule it out. Starting a SaaS product from scratch, got to rule it out because these things, eventually you can do them once you have cash flow. But for now, it's not overlapping. So I'm like, what are the things that are overlapping? There's really three buckets. Bucket one is, we'll call it brands, ads, or uh, brand deals, ads, affiliates. So this is all like, perfectly overlapping with the content we're making, right? We're making a video. The only difference is we get paid $5,000 to make it instead of nothing, right? Or you're making a video, it leads to a link. Someone clicks the link, you get an affiliate. You're already making the video. So it's like that is perfectly overlapping. But the con of that is that's very lumpy, inconsistent. You don't know when the money's coming in. It's kind of annoying to these brand deals, et cetera. So like that's bucket one. Bucket two is an agency. So video editing agency. Now, the pros of video editing agency is that your biggest cost, if you do mostly video, is going to become editing. So you're able to turn your biggest cost into a revenue source, but there's a ton of cons. It isn't really overlapping. It's kind of a net new business. You would need an operator or else you, you will have two jobs. Agencies are kind of lame and having like client service kind of sucks. So like there's a lot of cons for an agency, but that's like bucket number two. Bucket number three is we'll call digital products, right? This is courses. PDFs, digital assets you're selling, cohorts, paid community, everything in that bucket. Now, the pros of that is that a lot of it is build once, sell twice. So it isn't 
perfectly overlapping because you're going to have to set up dedicated time to like make the course, which isn't the content you're making. But once you make it, you don't have to make it again. And the other con is that it's kind of lumpy as well. So from my perspective, those are the three buckets that are like even close in the realm of like, I'm making content today. How can I make money from doing that act? And we can talk about, I have like over this last 10 days, I've really crystallized like which one I want to attack and how I want to attack it. So we can talk about that. But I'm curious from your perspective, a few things. One, you you are playing outside those three realms. Like you, Aluna is like a software play. That's a SaaS play and it, it is media as well. But I'm curious how you're thinking of this and like if this resonates at all. Yeah, I mean, so though you kind of like mentioned four different buckets that I'm also like playing in, and I think we can come together and there's a lot of synergy here. Um, the first is the SaaS with Aluna. But we're actually building something I'm much more excited about now. And like Aluna Pro Subs are going to be grandfathered. It's Pulse, which we talked about the other day. And we should be rolling out the alpha sometime in the next, maybe let's say early January. Um, I'm pretty active in that, not nearly as active as I was in Aluna. In Aluna, I was designing the entire infrastructure. I was in Slack meetings every day with the development team, da 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 da, da. Now it's um, one of my, one of my uh, partners, Greg Parker, who's a killer, killer UI designer. He's brought in a, a unbelievable designer to kind of like lead the, the UI and the front-end architecture there. And then he's kind of leading in congruence with the back-end team there. So I'm a little more hands-off on this product. Um, and then my idea with Aluna is like maybe p is, uh, cause right now it's in a weird place. It's like half media company, half SaaS platform. And so I'm going to try to figure out which one to really, really attack. We're less enthused with the media generation side, just because we're up against mid journey meta Google. It's, it's kind of like a, an impossible sort of uphill battle, very David versus Goliath. Um, but with the SaaS product, my most exciting and my favorite way to make money so far is that. Like, I would yeah. love if most of my income came in through Pulse. And I think we can build this into a very, very lucrative uh, product. So, like, that's what I'm most excited about. Um, and so we'll see how that plays out. On the agency side, like, it's something that you and I, I think, could crush with. It's just not exciting to me. It's not, like, that glamorous. And I think, you, like, your DMs are probably similar than mine. Your emails are probably similar to mine, where you're probably getting hit up by 10 different agencies or video editors every day to try to auto. So it's become very, very, very commoditized. Granted, we'd still have that edge because of the trust that we, and rapport that we have with our audience and also like our body of work. Um, so, but I do hate client work. I do hate like service industry. I think, I think it's a pain in the ass. So, Amen. Like this, right. And so a lot of pros, a lot of cons. And then we talk about brand deals. This is one that's interesting to me because I just finally, for the first time really accepted two two deals. Uh, I'm like, I don't want to say their names, but then again, people will see them anyways. The reason why I accepted them is because I think they're a great product, A, but I am dreading it. I am dreading, and again, like very first world problem to have, like the, the fact that I can be paid many thousands of dollars to like talk about a product is, is, is like a real blessing, um, but I'm dreading it. Like I, I hate it. It just feels like I'm, I'm back to a nine to five, like working for somebody else kind of. It really does. Um, it, it, it's like, there's just no love involved. And I do feel like it's taking more time, precious time from what I really, really love to do. That's, that's maybe higher risk, but higher reward down the line. Um, so that's, that's brand deals. I probably will do, let's say like one a month just because it is, you know, good money. And these are good products that I think that, that, that I might cover honestly anyways the audience right exactly well that's the ones that fit right if you were gonna exactly. make the video and now you're just the, the the problem i'm finding with brand deals and we can like go i can wait until you're done with the last one but 
uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, you go through the last one and then we'll, we'll go through. Each All right, bucket. cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to, to your point, like one, okay. One of them is called Dora. It's an AI website builder. That's actually super dope. And I'd probably make a video on it. Anyways, too. Right. Right. And so I think it fits both of our content perfectly. Um, so brand deals are actually great. Like you said, as long as it feels very native and organic to the content that you already would be making anyways. Um, and then on the digital product side, this is one like, so, so digital Jeff and I got, got a, a course named unsigned, but we haven't really launched yet because it's incomplete. And this one is interesting because the amount of money that it's pulled in from like on my end, like two stories and one newsletter mentions is like dramatically disproportionate to anything else that I'm doing. So the signal that I'm getting there is it's like, I should go all in. I still have like that stigma on the course side. That's like pulling me back. But then I'm getting the feedback that I'm getting from some of the students, let's call them. They're like, I've already got my money's worth and so much more. I've learned so much. My business is this. My content is on another level. And so I'm looking at that feedback and I'm like, I'm trying, I'm like, this is the, the back and forth between why is it so stigmatized? I just think most courses are like BS or whatever, or I, I, I don't know, like, I'd love to get your thoughts on it, but it's like, again, just similar to the agency or even like the brand deals. It's not something that I like overwhelmingly love that I'm yeah. excited and passionate about. And so that's kind of like my push and pull through all four of these buckets, but I'd love to, I'd love to get uh, your feedback and hear about your, your, uh, how you approach brand deals. Yeah. Let, let's go through all of them. I think We'll, we'll go reverse order just because the, the the courses stuff is top of mind now that you just said that. I think the reason why I think most courses suck is because the course creator comes at it from a how can I make money, not from a how can I give value to the end user perspective. Mm. Like they'll say it's to give value, but it's not. Every the pe- Most 99% of people making courses are like, wow, this is an amazing business model for me. And I think because right. of that, it lacks the like, I keep saying the 100 out of 10 value. It's like, these are eight out of 10 products, but I just feel like scummy selling a $300 product to someone that doesn't know any better that then takes it and can't action because it's incomplete or like not not good. So, but I, I do think you're on, you're right in the framing of like, we have, you and I specifically have like this weird blocker against selling courses or digital products because we feel like, other people have gotten ripped off from other ones. And so we're like holding right. back because the brand value of them is negative. But I think we need to get over that because as a, as an instructional vehicle, like as a teacher, it's actually really helpful if you do go above and beyond to like deliver the information to the student. So yeah, I mean, I'm interested. I'm, I'm not like a, I'll never do this. I'm very interested in figuring out a way to make it work. I have one idea for you that I'm going to try that, um, I think is interesting, like a, a new take on it. But I actually think the way you guys have set up Unsigned makes a ton of sense, which from my perspective is like, you have all these course modules inside it that are kind of like evergreen content around, you know, how to make videos or like how to position. Then, and I don't know if, if I'm just getting the emails for this, so I don't know if this is actually how it's set up, but like then Jeff's also running kind of like live seminars that can get recorded and posted as tutorials but like they're not as intended to be as evergreen i guess like they could just be like a spot in time but they're still valuable and then you have a paid community aspect so if if you're paying i don't know how much unsigned costs but if you're paying for that you're getting all three you're getting the course the kind of like live seminars as jeff and and you like get new knowledge you can like put those out and then the paid community so i feel like that that is a lot of value um and I, i i think it makes a lot of sense so I would love to have something like that, be a part of something like that. The, the other idea that I was thinking is I'm calling it build alongs. So I want to get your, I want to get your thought on this. 
So my take is right now, I don't want to make like a 15 module course about like how to make short form. A, I think what you guys put together on unsigned is probably a lot of the same information. B, it would take me a long time alone to get that out. It would probably be 50 to a hundred hours to get that out the way I want. And I don't know if like the value prop is there or whatever. So this idea of build alongs. So what I'm thinking is I keep going back to this sawdust idea. How do I take exactly what I'm doing, repackage the sawdust in a way that's actually valuable to people? And so imagine the process to make a video, right? Like you, you get the idea, you find an article, you sit down, you think about how it's unique. You can position it uniquely. You write the script. What would be most valuable for me as like an aspiring creator is to be a fly on the wall as you do that. One way is for you to like teach a session, but I think what's even closer to the sun than that would be, what if you just screen recorded the whole process live? You set, So like maybe it takes you two, three hours. You send that to an editor. They kind of cut out the dead space. You basically have this like 45 to 90 minute block that's literally like watching you do it live where as you're writing the script, you're kind of like talking out loud to yourself like, okay, like, you know, this, this messy article, like I think there's this interesting thread around like messy changing sports. We're going to start with, like you're actually just doing it live. And my idea was I was going to set up a, a community on, I was going to do it on school, SKOL.com, like that platform for free. It was going to be a free community. Anyone can join it. But then I was going to sell these build alongs as unique little products, almost like episodes of TV for like eight bucks. So what I think is cool about this is like, if I film them, and then the video goes viral a week later, I can be like, Hey, by the way, like this video got 2 million views. Like if you want to watch exactly how I did it and how I think about it, you can pay eight bucks and like watch the episode. If you don't want to, and you're not interested in that topic, you don't have to pay like the community's free and you can just like play around. And that's like a new model of courses that I've never seen done before. It's kind of like live streaming on Twitch, but like packaged after the fact. And I think there's a lot of interesting things you could do there. Obviously the revenue from people paying the $8, but also every tool you mentioned can be affiliate linked. You can have companies sending you new tools to try, which you can do brand deals for. And then also, I just think there's like a lot of long tail ways you can monetize that. You're almost like not risking trust because you're just showing your process, you know, but you're like making it freemium in a way. I'm curious what you think about this because I, I kind of want to try this. I love it. I love it. I mean, uh, first of all, anytime you have like a great idea like that, my instinct and, and any builder that I talk to, my instinct is always ship it, you know, gather yeah. data, see what happens, um, especially because it's free and the, the, the premium things are a la carte. So if like one week or one month, you're not really doing anything, no problem. Nobody's like losing money because nobody's paying $50 a month or whatever it is, right? So I, I love that a la, like freemium model. I've always loved the freemium model in any app or product that I've built. And then having that a la carte nature to it where it's like, all right, you have all these things now, like, like uh, okay, th this is how I did the messy video. This is how I did this video, the Taylor Swift. This is how I did the Tesla video. Da, da, da. And all of them can be purchased individually. Or yeah. then maybe once you have a library, then you maybe have one package. It's like $100 to buy everything, uh, including all future updates or something like that, right? And so there's like different ways that you can tier it um, but actually I love that idea and it's something that I would be interested in watching. And funny enough, it's one of my biggest requests from unsigned. It's like, can you just do a video where you just set up a camera as you're creating? Yeah. And like people are very interested in that. Um, and that's why like Jeff loves doing those live modules. It's almost like also consulting at scale, which is interesting. Like if somebody wanted an hour with you, you're going to charge what 500, a thousand bucks, whatever it is. And so like, 
if you have a small group of students that you're bringing in that are maybe paying $50 a month, they're already getting like an incredible value just sitting in that room learning one-on-one or like one-on-five with you. Um, but I love that idea, man. And I think school is a cool platform and I think why not do it? Um, I guess you just have to figure out, first of all, I think $8 is probably going to be too cheap, right? Yeah. I think for the value that you're delivering. Um, but yeah, man, I do it. Try it. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try it. I got. I just have to figure out the the right price point. But I, but I do agree. And then like the long tail is once like imagine, I mean, we're making videos about companies and products all the time, right? So I make one of these. Let's say I make it for like a Microsoft thing. It gets into the Microsoft jet stream. A lot of the Microsoft employees are then watching it because they're trying to learn how I'm framing. All of a sudden, Microsoft reaches out and they're like, yo, we'll give you 10 grand to like make another one about this specific story. And it's beneficial for them because then they're pumping they're, they're pumping their co- content into my flow. I can teach them how I'd frame it, but then also at scale they're getting, cause I'm promoting it. So they're getting like kind of the, right. so I think there's like a lot of really interesting uh, effects on that. So I'm definitely going to try even it. Sponsor it, right? Like they could, exactly. it could be part of the package as well. It's like, not only exactly. will I do an, an Instagram reel syndicated to TikTok, I'll also do an explanatory video for, for my school platform. Yeah. There's like a lot it. you can do off that too. Like you could, you could then sell a bigger course after the fact. So you do this for six months, you've got 30 episodes. People are like, oh, I really like watching you do it. But like, can you bubble up the themes and package them? And then that's where you do like the $300 course. So, so yeah, I think that that's the way I'm going to, I'm going to try to tackle the, the, the digital content side of it at first, just going to experiment with that. I feel like there's a, there's a decent, interesting little thing there. Um, so that's that bucket. And I, I want to, I like the way you guys are approaching it, to be honest. So that's going to win also. And yeah, you're making we just, it's the price that points I'm not, good. Something that I'm not 100% proud of yet because we're not done. We have like 15 videos left. And like you said, it takes a lot of time, man. This isn't like putting together a little reel or like there's a lot of thought that goes into it. Um, and especially because my other thing with courses is I very much feel like everything's available for free. Any good piece of information is already available for free on YouTube. But then I kind of like reframe my mind because I love Traff's course on uh, Framer. Framer. Yeah. I could have learned all that for free on YouTube. But Traff is the guy. He's the best. Why not just learn from him all packaged up nicely and presented cohesively? Same as like, I haven't bought it yet, but I'm going to get that DaVinci Resolve course from Sam Colder. I could learn all that for free. No problem on YouTube, but he's like the best. And again, it's all very cohesively packaged up for me where I'm not like scrambling and searching all over YouTube. So So that's a lot of value. Someone has said that, which I think changed my mind about how I thought about this. What you're paying for is not the information. You're paying for the curation of it. So it's like the fact that the information, because I always thought, I was like, oh man, I'm kind of scammy, like reselling the same information that's already free because people don't know any better. But no, it's like, you're just going and excavating and finding all the stuff. And then people are paying you for that work. It's just, they don't pay you hourly. They pay you at scale. So I I, I like that model a lot. And I think that makes sense. The thing is And then there's another thing that I want to add as well with yeah. uh, that I find is actually pretty valuable when you're paying for something, there's an extra level of commitment when it's just like available free in the internet. It's like there, there's more chance if you pay for something, if you put your money behind something, there's more chance you're going to see it through better chance that you're going to see results. And so like that was another, another sort of idea and, and framework that came to me when we were like thinking about unsigned that I liked as well. Right. Yeah. So it's the same thing for say you build that platform out on school. Somebody's, paying for it, they're probably going to watch it to completion instead of what, you know, if it were free, but I don't know, just another yeah, tidbit yeah. of uh, info came to mind. And, and as a frame for this, this little, this little topic we're having, 
let's assume to get to what I want for like the content engine, like four or five people, like editors, whatever, let's just assume the burn is like 10 to 15 K a month. Let's just say. So if all you did was the digital course bucket that we just talked about, you could probably get there, but the problem is it's a little lumpy, right? So like, I guess if you have what you guys are doing with like a paid monthly thing, it's less lumpy because you have like predictable, hopefully like you don't have churn and people are like staying and you're just growing that. So that's helpful. But with the idea I pitched to build along things, that's going to be monthly. That's like people buying products from a store. So you, it's harder to predict. So let just to put that out there, I don't think I can rely just on that. Okay. So there's that bucket. The SaaS will leave for now because I don't, I don't have plans of starting anything in SaaS right now, although I would love to. I feel like for you, for yours, you had put so much effort in and like have built these relationships that now you're able to take a little bit more of a backseat and it still could work, which is sick. Like that, like you said, that is the dream. So I don't know how feasible that would be for like someone who's starting out new creator and not technical and like trying to take them both on. But any anything you want to mention on that front? Because I think Pulse has the potential to be like, well, I haven't seen the actual product yet, but the way you framed it, I think it has the potential to be like an eight figure business in a couple of years, just, just because there's so many people trying to like distill interesting topics and spread that through content, which is exactly what Pulse does. Right. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think that's my dream outcome sort of like, I, cause I honestly love creating content because I love telling stories. Like this is what I've realized. So when I make, when I'm doing these brand deals, I don't love that because like, I'd rather just make content that I love that I think the audience would get a lot of value from. And then there's like a call to action, right? And this is why I love the school idea too. Cause even though it may not be recurring revenue, it's always a simple call to action, right? It's like, um, I actually have tried this with my newsletter and it's, it's like worked. I'm sure you've done it as well. Where it's like, if I'm doing a video saying the 50 second video of 50 second sec, 50 second second of that video i might be like by the way guys if you want to get more of this like go check out the newsletter or something there's like a two or three second call to action that you could actually add into every video that yeah. doesn't feel salesy doesn't feel pushy doesn't so you could do the same thing it's like uh by the way guys if you want to see how i make these videos go to uh, callaway.school.com or whatever it might be and it's a two or three second call to action or on instagram you can use uh many chat and have somebody comment something and then it's just like this engine that's turning on its own and it doesn't feel pushy or salesy so i love that um, yeah, that's kind of like my, um, I guess I can talk to you. You, you might be similar. Like my goal, like you said, it's probably like a 10 to 15 K a month machine. I'm probably somewhere similar. Cause what I'd really love to do to spend my time is like, okay, the ideation, the research and the scripting, which like hopefully Pulse can help with. Like, I really just want to like figure out the, the story and film the A roll. Exactly. And then I want to have, and then, and then I want to boom, then somebody else is editing, animating all this stuff. Also, somebody else is publishing to these platforms. I don't even want to be uploading. I want, I want, uh, yeah, I'll help with the caption and whatnot, but I'll even like hashtags or, or, or tags on YouTube, all best practices. I want somebody else to do it. So I want somebody else to do the editing, the publishing, the repurposing, which is huge. I want somebody who's very, very savvy with platforms and the culture of each platform to figure out how to repurpose a grand idea into uh, a Twitter carousel, into a LinkedIn carousel, into an Instagram post, into, you know what I mean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then I also want somebody handling all the analytics, figuring out what's working, what's not. And so I'd love to be hands off. Like, I, I'd, I'd love to get to a point where I'm not even like going to Instagram or going to TikTok. Exactly. That's I'm the dream. That's the dream. Creating the A roll, figuring out figuring out how to present it. And there's a machine handling everything else. I think that is exactly. 
And that's, and that's like, to be clear to people listening, like we, we, we definitely want to make way more than 10 to 15 K, but like you only need 10 to 15 K for that part, like to automate that team. Then once it's automated and you're just doing the A roll and stories and stuff, you've got 80% of your time back. That's when you can then, I mean, you'll, you'll have pulse, but like, that's when you can go build a bunch of other stuff. Right. Well, I thought you meant, I was saying 10 to 15 K is what it would probably cost. Like, yeah, exactly. For that. Exactly. Team. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and then like you said, then you have like a whole myriad of products, whether it be SaaS, whether it be a course, digital uh, agency, whatever it is. And every single video, there will be a call to action. Like this is why I think we both want to go like really heavy into YouTube because every single video you can talk about these things. And on exactly. YouTube, same as long form, same as podcast. It's expected. Like every podcast you listen to, you expect Chris Williamson or Joe Rogan to pause for a plug. And it, and it, and it's no problem. It's not disruptive to the experience. Whereas on a short, forget it, man. Like if we're going to make a 40 second short and 15 seconds of it, it's like, by the way, let me tell you about product. It's, it's, it's not going to work, right? Yeah, it doesn't work. Swipe away. So, um, that's the importance of long form and this structure and the system, I think that we're trying to build out. And I think, so one of the reasons why I'm thinking about this so much is because like, I don't have anything to push right now that's actually additive to the content. So mm-hmm. my newsletter, which I think is really good, is really designed for like creators and entrepreneurs trying to learn. But if the videos I'm making are like, look at this new AI tool or like, look at Tesla, it's even at the end, if I was like, yo, go read my newsletter, it doesn't make sense. There's no connection at all because it's kind of like two separate buckets. So I literally don't have a single thing, either free or paid that I could push on like, that like for example that amazon video i made i have nothing to push people to from there free or paid if i had a newsletter that was like here's how i break down businesses okay that's that'd be free i could push to that if i had a paid like if you had pulse it's like you want to hear how i scripted this i could push to that if i had the build alongs like you want to see how i actually made this i could push to that so i'm I'm like in my head i'm like i need something to push to like we're getting all these eyes and nowhere to push them so, okay. So that's, that's, that's but you, helpful. But you are pushing one thing. You're pushing continued and compounded trust and affinity yeah, yeah. with an audience, which is the most valuable and the hardest part of the entire thing. So like, th- this is a framework that I've just adopted too, as well It's like, wait a second, this isn't actually empty. It's like, we're building an audience. We're compounding this growth. We're compounding this trust, these trust coins, as you call them. And like, honestly, that's the hardest part. The building of the product is the easiest part to me. The hardest part is the distribution. This is why like having an audience and, and being a creator is so valuable, especially over the course of the next decade. So it's like, don't, um, cause I fell into that trap too, where I'm like, man, I'm making all these videos and I'm not selling anything. It's like, wait a second. I'm like building really dope relationships with a large group of people. I think that's the most valuable thing. Yeah, that's well said. Okay. So just to wrap this up. So that's, those are two of the buckets we talked about. We got agency and brand deals left quickly on agency. I think you and I are in the same position here where it's like, like effectively you're going to have an agency with a customer of one, which is you, right? So like if you build out a team of five and that team of five is making content for you, that is an agency. It's just, you're not going to get clients. You're just serving yourself. So it's kind of like, we're going to have to build an agency either way. And, but I think it's really easy to underestimate the incremental work to then get new clients, build up a, a bigger team to serve those clients. The clients are churning. You have a bigger burn. Like it's just a headache to operate. And so, I wrote about in my newsletter last week, like, should I start an agency? Here's, here's why it makes sense for me. And like, here's how I'd frame it. But like, unless I had a superstar operator come to me and say, look, just give me your mind for 30 days. Like help me build out the process. And after that you spend no time operationally and I'll just like kick back the cash flow, and you can lead gen people in. If that, if that was the situation, I would consider it. But then again, there are five of those agencies that are structured like that with, 
like the things that Hunter Hammonds are doing with Sawhill and whatever. And from my perspective, I don't know the inside of their business, but a lot of those are commoditized services that deliver a an average quality product. I'm not I'm not trying to say that to hate on them, but like that's just the truth is there isn't like an HBO level output coming from an agency that I've seen and at scale at least. And I think there's a, there's a reason for that. It's like really hard to do that. And you have to become more of a consulting firm than just like a churn and burn agency. And so, like you said, I think we could crush that. We could be, because I think we, we have this like upper echelon quality as is. So like we could become the face of that, but yeah, for now it's just, it feels like an inefficient use of our time, no leverage. Yeah, I think I think um, the, the problem, sort of the inherent problem with an agency is that it lives or dies by its talent. And if you're somebody who's incredibly talented, it's like, why do you want 20% of the pie where the middlemen are getting most of the pie when you can go out and do it yourself? Um, that, that's kind of the problem. That's why there's so much churn at agencies. That's why it's like a very, very difficult model. That's why it's also difficult to sell. Um, because like, what are you actually buying? You're, you're buying maybe contracts if people are, are, you know, you know, if you have like multi-year contracts, maybe you're buying that, but it, it's just like a very, cause it's professional middlemaning, which is very useful by the way. Cause all these agencies, like the ones that you were mentioning, they just go to the Philippines, find the best people that they, and then pair it with the client and then do the management. And I think that's a, actually an amazing service because it's very difficult to like find people, have them all like in Slack, organize all that, like. Agency model is great in theory. In practice, it's a little bit more difficult, especially to scale. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like, I love your idea because what you say is right. Like, if we're already sort of building an agency to serve ourselves, then it's like, okay, this can be scaled and we can serve a lot of other customers. But, yeah, that's, yeah, I don't know, man. That's the tricky thing about agencies, like keeping the bar of quality really, really high. I know a lot of people who have hired agencies, and I know a lot of agencies that put a lot of effort into getting the client. And then once they got that in as MRR that they could go brag about on Twitter, yeah. <laughs> they forget about continually serving them at the highest quality. And it just becomes like a, a data point. Like how can we like do the bare minimum to keep them, to keep them from churning? I don't know. It's not a, yeah. it's a tricky one for sure. Well, my, my thought on that would be the mistake would be for us to be like, we make high quality content. Let's build an agency. The way to do it would be, we now spend the next six to 12 months building out our own teams and actually honing the process that those teams use for us. Then you have a playbook that with just more bodies and an operator, you could scale mm -hmm. easily. I think I was thinking about, the, I was thinking about the opposite, like, Ooh, I could figure out the process cause I'm close to it. That's a trap. I think you should just actually go do well, the so. process for yourself and then potentially scale it if it makes sense. So that's that bucket. I'm, I'm probably not going to touch that for a while. I, I don't think you are either. Okay. The last bucket is the brand deal. So, Interesting, in interesting thinking here. So I totally agree with you, which is like, it's a little bit of a headache to do them. I kind of dreaded doing them. And the reason why partially is like, you're kind of treated like a commodity, like a commodity transactionally. And a yeah. lot of these big companies are running the brand deals through PR agencies, which I don't like. Like if I was working with a head of marketing, so here's, the, here's a good example. Shopify, I don't have a paid deal with Shopify, but I basically reached out to to them one day and I was like, yo, I'm already making a lot of videos about stuff you put out. Like anytime you drop something interesting, I'm making a video about it. So what I would, like a win for me is what I, this idea I call creator in residence, which is what I would love is Shopify and I have a contract that has a set rate for my videos and that rate can change quarterly or whatever. And Basically, anytime they're going to do anything interesting, 
they shoot it my way and it, like maybe a day before. And if I think it's interesting, if I think it's interesting at all, I have the right to make a video about it. And if I make a video about it and it gets above a certain metric, like, like I don't have to go to them and ask permission. It's kind of like I have free range. And if it gets above a certain, whatever the metric is, views, clicks, engagement, whatever, then they at the end of the quarter have to pay me my rate for that video. And it basically, this is my dream idea. This is not how the relationship I have set up with them yet, but like, that's what I went to them with of like, if I just had that with four or five of my favorite companies and I could, it wouldn't force me to make only their content. But anytime I saw something interesting, I'd give a little extra juice. Like I'd be incentive aligned to do it. That'd be really cool. And then I wouldn't have to go to them for permission. I wouldn't have to get the video edited. I wouldn't have to do revisions. It's kind of just like my exact same process. So I went to them with that and they were like, I mean, arguably so, or like fairly so, or I think they were like, oh, we've never done this kind of structure before, but instead let's trial it where we'll just send you interesting stuff. And if you want to make video great, and like, if you do it, uh, they never like promised me any comp or whatever, but like they, they like I made that video about Drake and they're going to send me like Drake Noctas or like, they're going to start sending me stuff as like, you know, cause I'm like a, in the family, I guess. But the idea is like that's step one of trialing this, this whole creator and residence concept, which is much closer to what I'd want to do with brand deals than what is, what is now like this tr super transactional, super like unartsy edited kind of like tough process. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I had one other thing too. Well, that could be a very interesting agency to build or a SaaS play. Right. And I do think we're going to see a shift. Um, like this idea of, okay, so so say I'm say I'm say post does well and I'm posting, I'm looking for like UGC creators. I'd actually rather just hire like three or four creators to continually pump out content anytime there was an update instead of like having trying to manage like a hundred or five hundred UGC creators or whatever it is. So I do think like a lot of companies, and I actually I think a lot of companies on a high level have already done this. I think um like DJI is a great example. They have yeah. like ten or maybe it's a lot more now, but they have like the most premier YouTubers that are all like, I think they're probably on some sort of deal where every product that we deliver, we'll ship it to you, you make a video on it. I don't know how the, how the payment works in the back end, but like they're just going for the premier creators and they're not worried about trying to hire an army of UGC creators on TikTok. Who gives a shit kind of, right? Yeah. And so I do feel like, I, honestly, that's a great idea. Like I think that could be an interesting agency where we're going to companies and we like, listen, we have eight creators that will create that'll create content across all platforms. Anytime you have a major update, it's all going to be streamlined. It's all going to be the highest possible quality. And like, you don't have to worry about anything else. That alone will get like, if you have like the top AI creators, like the top 10 AI creators creating content, that's all you need. Then everybody else will create it for free because it gets views to their channel. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of all over the place there, but it's a good idea. Cause that's the, the, my frame for that was like, think about how golf or like NASCAR works or formula one, or I, I don't know if formula one's like this. I don't know formula one as much, but like NASCAR for sure, which is every athlete in those sports, like take, take Phil Mickelson. He's got like five brands that he's has these like long-term deals with. They obviously pay him an annual fee, but like he wears the stuff on every one of his shirts, his hats. He does like a commercial. He is kind of like a creator in residence for them. Anytime right. they need to tap him, he'll do it. And he doesn't have to go out and like transactionally work with these other smaller companies one off. It's like he's taken care of from a money perspective with his watch, his car, like his watch brand, his car brand, his credit card and like one other one. And that's it. And I think that same thinking should translate over to creators. I love that. I think what you're saying is right, though. The top people do have those deals. It, but it's like the now this like I don't know if we're 
the next wave becoming like big enough where I feel like we would enter into this where it already exists and brands will start reaching out or it needs to trickle downstream to kind of like this mid tier that I feel like we're in. Yeah, I feel like we're in a weird place. I know for sure I feel like I'm in a bit of a weird place because these companies are coming in and they're trying to, I know I know what I could bring to the table is much more valuable that they want to pay, but they don't look at me as like a top tier creator yet. They, they'll yeah. go to a creator with like a 3 million follower audience and they're like, that's a top tier creator. Where I think the quality output that I'm, I'm almost basically there and the views that I'm reeling in are like above it. So like I know my value is actually worth more than some of these top tier creators that they're paying the premium dollar. And so like I will not settle for a three thousand dollar deal. I just like won't even even if it's like well worth my time it might take me two hours. Fifteen hundred dollars an hour is great. But like I just I can't I'm 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 not willing to settle yet. Maybe if things get dire and I cannot figure it out. Fuck it. Let me let me take 10, 20 of these deals a month and I'll just become like a, a, a Brando guy. But um. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I think you're probably in the same place where like the video that you make will probably get more views than these people that they're paying the super premium dollar, same quality. So like, so are we willing to compromise or I don't, I don't know. Like, again, I'm, I haven't like thought this out super, super well, but that's kind of like, I'm in this sort of like middle tier, middle ground position. That's a little uncomfortable to be in. I, I agree. Every time you do a brand deal, unless it's perfectly overlapping with what you already would have made, it's like one more check in the box of like, this is a Brando guy like, to your right. point. So like you can only take so many that are obviously paid before people put you in that bucket. I've even taken a few that like I probably shouldn't have taken. And it's the whole process while I was making it, I was like, oh God, I shouldn't have done this. And then like the money is never worth it. Like you just feel right. like you sacrifice the trust. So the other thing I was going to say too, which um, in this bucket, and then we can wrap this topic is something I'm considering is so I was, I was weighing either getting a, a talent manager or hiring a sales dedicated person. And the reason why is because like, I just don't have the time to make the highest quality content I can think about all this stuff. Now we're, now I'm like on pods, we're doing the pod. There's just too much to do. And then the full-time job of like proactive reach out to brands I want to work with, dealing with the inbound, negotiating it higher, dealing with the back and forth. It's just too much. Like one of the reasons why I haven't done that many deals is because I just can't get through yeah. the volume. And so I was like, okay, how are the other people doing it? And I talked to some other people and they have a, a talent manager. And so mm -hmm. and to me, I was like, uh, I don't know if I'm big enough for that or, or whatever. Like I don't want a predatory deal. That was kind of like my, my baseline thinking. But they, the way these are structured sounds pretty good. It's basically, there's no lock-in. You can leave whenever you want. The talent manager, they take 15 or 20%, but you're probably gonna pay that in commission to a salesperson anyway. You don't have to pay them a salary. They're like proactively working on your behalf to get these deals in and negotiate them at higher rates. And probably the best thing is most of these managers have other creators, so they've got all these brands coming in the ecosystem already that they can like cross sell you to. So I'm trying to have like conversations and see, I, I really don't wanna like work with someone that isn't a perfect fit, but I was kind of between a manager or trying to get like a head of sales, like we talked about on the last pod, which the pros of a head of sales is like, they're working just for you. So they're like way more dedicated. They're doing way more for you, but then you probably have to pay them a salary. You have to worry about managing them. You have to like, you know, it's all of a sudden adds one more to the head count. So I don't know. I don't know where you think about this. I hadn't really thought about a talent manager at all until someone mentioned it maybe 10 days ago, but the biggest way to up the brand deal revenue in my mind is to just get somebody working on that for me. And then yep. hopefully we get bigger deals from bigger companies that are cl more closely aligned with the content we'd already make. And then it's, it feels less like transactional. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's well worth exploring. I mean, also, if there's anybody, like, I'd even want to share that resource, uh, split the cost or whatever. Or if there's anybody listening who's just, like, really scrappy, man, like, that could be interesting as well as, like, somebody out there who could who could go out and get these deals that we desire that are really lucrative and take, like, a really uh, generous portion, percentage of that, say 15 20%. Um, I'd love to find something like that as well. I think I think we we both love Peter McKinnon. Like, he's made yeah, yeah. right? And... Um, what he has is so dope where he has like, it's the same way as that Phil Mickelson analogy that you made. He has like five of the biggest brands in the world that just like support him. Um, DJI, Canon, whatever it might be. And so he's not like going around scrappy, hungry, like looking for all these brand deals from corporate. He's just like working with five big companies that probably pay him very, very generously that like take care of him. That like ideally, say by the 2025, that is the dream. Like say... Say if I just have relationships with like Meta, Apple, Canon, Adobe, like there's just like five companies that are always just like paying me to plug whatever they're doing that are taking care of me, that are bringing me to events, that are hooking me up with stuff. And they're just like, I don't know if it's, if it's salary or stipend or or retainer or whatever it is, but it's just like these long-term relationships that you're not like grinding for every negotiation for every bit of content. It's just like, you're always going to support naturally, like- Yo, did y'all see that new Nike drop? I don't know. I doubt they pay creators, but does that make sense? Like that yeah, so is that, the dream. That's the dream. But and then the but the question is like, okay, if if you need to get to 15k a month to cover the burn as quick as possible, to get to the Peter McKinnon level where like they're paying him big checks, e- like even if they even if the check was smaller, they probably wouldn't even go into that deal unless you were a certain size. So it's like. For me, I'm trying to I'm trying to think like if we're playing the game, the way to beat the level is we need to get to 15k as as quickly as yeah. possible without eroding trust. So one way would be not doing brand deals at all and trying to like wait until you get to that level that you just described, which is like your four or five cornerstone brands. But then how else? How are you going to get to the 15k while you're waiting for that? Like right. if you have Pulse, that's different because I think that will get you there. But like assuming you don't have the SaaS tool. What, what other way are you going to get to the 15K? That's, what I, that's what's kind of bouncing around my head right now. Yeah, I mean, that's why, I mean, most creators, you got to go with the brand deals, right? Or, or yeah. the digital product sales that are a lot more unpredictable unless you're doing like a recurring revenue course. But um, it's, it's tough, right? It's, it definitely is tough. Um, what did I, I, wanted to, I wanted to mention something, something that you said. I had it written down, but now I'm forgetting, uh, forgetting where, where we are now. But anyways, another thing that I wanted to mention on the brand deal side, something that I thought was interesting, that video that I made about um, the game, like the great online game, I just made it because I thought it was dope. I wanted to like that artistic challenge. And by the way, when I was in VA, I wrote like three more scripts that are very ambitious. I'm going to try to at least maybe get one done by like, say, January. It's like a straight up short film. Um, But something interesting happened where two different companies reached out wanting rights to that video to run as an ad. Whoa, that's cool. And and, And one company wanted me, the only problem, the only reason I can't do this is they were like, we just want you to change up the ending to basically like promote their product. Yeah. In a the way. game is the game and by aperture it's <laughs> yeah well it, w- it was interesting because like the product i don't want to like reveal the name yet in case like we figure out something to do but it's like a product that basically um gets you off of your phone right that like locks up your f- it's like an app that does that does that and they were like yeah if you at the end instead of like saying okay create to serve instead of saying that it's like what if there was like what if there was an app or what if there was a product that could do this that could you know whatever um, and I was like, okay, well, I'd have to like match the lighting, wear the same thing, have my hair. Like, it's going to be very tricky to it's do. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Do it. 
But I thought that was interesting. And the fact that two of them did it and both of them said that they'd done it twice before or the other company had done it like multiple times before to really, really great success and high ROI. I thought that was interesting. So what they're doing is they're scoping the landscape for reels or TikToks or whatever it is that have performed disproportionately well, where they're like, okay, the data is good. This would work as an ad to get eyeballs in. And then they figure out a way to repurpose it for their product. And I'm like, mm. that's an interesting play as well. That's um, dope because you basically shot that like a cinematic commercial and not only were they paying like nothing, I mean, they'll pay you whatever, but it's going to be a fraction of the commercial, but like they didn't have to pre-buy the cost of the commercial shoot at right. at the risk that it didn't work. Like they already know right. your video is dope. So that actually makes it a lot of sound. I'm surprised more brands aren't doing that because I kind of thought- I think that'll be a, a wave that we see. Yeah, that might be a good transition into the into the next topic of the of the trends. But hopefully, I mean, that was a long one, but hopefully it was valuable to people to listen to like, that's kind of the strategy of how we're thinking about the monetization buckets, the pros and cons, what we're going to try to do in each one, but very pressing. Like this is, and I guess the one other thing to mention is what you, you mentioned right before we started recording, which is like, we both kind of had this approach of like, we're going to take two years and just hone the craft of making content, really not, no urgency to make money. If, if money comes in, it comes in, but like really not get distracted. That was my plan too. And after one year, I'm getting the itch to, Yep. and the reason why is not because I'm trying to be like rich on a yacht. Like I want to play this game for a long time. It's mostly because I can't do the things I really want to do unless I have the content engine automated and I get my time back. Right. I can't automate it until I make money. And so I have to make the money as soon as possible or I'm going to lose my mind. It's kind, of, it's kind of like where I'm at. So that's why I think we're starting. But like we're, we're fortunate that it worked in the first year, right? Yep. To give us to the point where we can start thinking about it. Yeah. And uh, the last thing I'll say about brand deals too is like it would be ideal if we could find people or clients that are like less about, hey, this is the new DJI product or the new Insta360 product and more about do you kind of like support my vision? Like I want to create a really, really dope story about something that I'm passionate about. Would you want to sponsor it? You know, and maybe there's like a 30 second sponsor segment or maybe it's just like, by the way, this video is sponsored by Figma. Thank you. Like the reason we're able to create and, uh, and like innovate is because we have such a creative and innovative company that we like something like that. And again, that's why long form is so valuable. It's so much easier to do in long form. And so, um, that's how yeah, Casey Neistat, that's what Casey Neistat did, right? Like he would go to these brands 100%. and be like, I want to make a short film about you. No creative control from you. Give me a hundred grand. And like, then he would go around the world and do it. That there's a lot. I mean, there's a reason that works so well, you know? Um, yeah. And so, I mean, like Johnny Harris, I don't know if you know him. He's, he's one of my favorite like YouTubers. Um, John Coogan. There's a lot of dope guys creating just like great stories that I want to tell. Um, and then the sponsors are just cleverly infused instead of like a brand deal where it's like, I'm going to make an entire video plugging your shit. It's a little less exciting. Yeah. One of the, what the last thing I'll say on this is one of the things I was hoping we would happen is we would find a way to package basically like more or less, like if you cut through all the fog, me and you were just building a bunch of media properties that can be packaged in interesting ways. Like I have a few, you have a few, the podcast has a few. So what, what I was hoping most is that the podcast would be the wedge for brands to be like, we really like the way you guys talk long form and the way you think and like be interested. And then all of a sudden the deals we get as a collective package of the different properties we have, those deals are so much bigger because we have so much more reach everywhere. And then we don't have to do as many deals because we could get a $30,000 deal from Adobe and put it everywhere. And then all of a sudden 
we just made 15 K that month in one activation. Like that, that's what, that's what I'm hoping that this podcast kind of becomes. And I think the moral of the story is I think we, we kind of would benefit from having a mind, either a manager or a salesperson who is like crafting that packaging and story and going and making it happen versus like us having to wait for it to happen. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't, I don't want to do anything else except for, create the content and written reality, like the a roll. I think long form. Yeah. That'd be ideal. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's, let's go to the next topic. Where do you want to take it from here? We could, we could talk about trends. We could talk about, um, I'm looking at our list. We have so many like interesting things you, you pick. Yeah. I mean, trends is an interesting one. Um, I think it's, I think as a creator, you always want to not necessarily trend jack or just ride every trend, but you always want to know where things are going. I think it's really, really important to understand where the tailwinds are. And so as we move into 2024, like 2023, I think there were a lot of trends. The, the biggest one, I think, was just the emergence of, of AI tools to assist and augment the creative process, which I think will just continue to, to you know, it's going to get crazier in, in 2024. But there were a lot of trends specific to platforms. I think, again, like I think we both understood that there were real tailwinds behind um, being able to synthesize news and stories and break them down in a simpler way to digest for an audience. Um, I think the talking head trend was something that we helped like sort of usher in. But where do you think, what are, what are the, some of the big trends that you're thinking about moving into 2024, whether it be content, whether it be more macro, whether it be like cult, uh, platform specific like, are, are there any ones that stand out to you that a creator really should at least have on their radar moving into 2024? Yeah, there's two top of mind. I'm sure we'll tease out more. One is, I was thinking about this idea I call, I'm calling cult hopping. So the way the internet's evolving is like, yes, there's a lot of divisiveness, but if you, which is like tough, you know, for all the like topics that are like really hard to, like there is no right or wrong. Like there's a lot of divisiveness and hatred. But if you if you go like a few layers below that, what's actually happening is like the fandom around an idea, a, a brand, a topic is getting deeper because I think the fan of the brand is now in an echo chamber where they're getting way more surface area points, like points of contact than they did before. So like a tactile example would be, let's say Erwan. Let's say like Five years ago, if you lived in LA, you would see Erwan, you'd like hear about it in the LA circle. You could be a cult fan. But like now you're getting all these videos about it, all these shorts about it. People are like going and doing these shopping halls. It's like a thousand X the amount of surface area touch points. And so the the fandom of that cult is now deeper. And as a trend, I feel like cult fandom is deepening. And so what that means to me, I mean, I talk about cult brands in terms of my videos, but like this idea of cult hopping is like, yo, where, when there's tailwinds or when there's waves, just paddle out, jump on the board and let the water do the work. And so like, if all these cults are cult brands, cult fandoms are like ripe to support something, you just gotta get in the sphere. And like a good example is what I did with the Taylor Swift. Like I'm not really a Swifty. I kind of stumbled into the first video that I made about Taylor Swift. I think I saw Trung's tweet about like how much money she's making. And from a business lens, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And when I made it, it went hyper viral. And I was like, you know, the, the hubris was like, oh yeah, I'm great at telling business stories. But like the truth is the cult of Taylor Swift is so deep and the fans are ready to go to battle so much that 
it, anything positive at all about her would just get amplified a thousand times. And I think that same trend works for every cult. It doesn't have to just be like Taylor Swift. It could be any brand. It could be any movement. It could be any political side. It's like as a creator and, and as like another brand, you want to find a way to hop into those cult whirlpools, I think. So that's one little trend. I think there's like a lot of ways you could take that, but um, that's why so many of our videos have gone viral, I think, is because we're talking about cult brands. Like if you make a video about Apple, it gets 1.5 million views in 24 hours. It's because the cult of Apple is like swords at the ready, you know, like they're ready to amplify it. What do you think about this? I think he's brilliantly said, like I've always said, man, I love sometimes the way you phrase things, cult whirlpool, right? I think that, I think that's what you called it. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, I think that's something that we've done really well sort of subconsciously without really yeah, maybe yeah. articulating it why uh, things are working, but we sort of subconsciously kind of understood. Um, I think this is a massive, massive trend moving into 2024. I shared in my story from Pew Research. It's like 17% of people under 30 now are getting their news from TikTok. Three years ago, it was 3%. So I do think like being a news creator, as unglamorous as it may be, is like one of the easiest ways to hyper virality and hyper growth of an audience. It's a bit of a trap because it can be a little bit trickier to monetize. Um, but if you do it right, and, and another thing I want to add to that too, is right now, like we've always had, I think Twitter has always been sort of like this public forum uh, for, for what's trending, for what's really, really hot right now. And when you wanted to get a little bit more information about something, you usually go to Twitter and search. But now we have threads. I think Reddit also falls into this bucket. But something that I'm seeing, I think TikTok is going to take Twitter's throne, especially with Twitter. I do think Twitter is on the decline. I think it's actually uh, understated. I think the decline of Twitter is actually much worse than most people think. You and I, because we live in this sort of like startup capital world, like we, we probably, it's still like very much Twitter, but for almost anything else aside, uh, startups and politics, I, I think Twitter is like, I think it's, I think it's in danger. We could talk about that later. So actually one of the questions in the mailbag, but I see TikTok picking up a lot of this steam. And now TikTok, if you go to the search is basically trending topics. And so like a quick hack for creators, if you're just interested in growing is like, go look at, sorry, I'm putting up my phone, got a PlayStation ad. But like, go look <laughs> at what's hot on TikTok. When you go to the search, you're going to see a lot of you may like, what's trending, et cetera. It's like, you can make content about that and it's going to go viral, basically, right? And I think it's a little bit, um, it's kind of similar to what you're saying. It's a little different. You're talking about um, cult hopping. I'm more talking about just trending topics. But um, yeah, I think just sort of being a news creator and being, being able to synthesize to your audience in a very digestible way what's going on or like a big complicated story is a, uh, is a super hack moving into 24. I need to be better at that. Cause I think I, it's not that I was anti the trending topics, but I really have not leaned into what's trending at all. Like I never used Google trends. I never used the searches ever for the topics. And I think I'm just like doing myself a disservice because if you're good at simplifying complex things into like easy language, there's just an infinite need for people's it's a superpower. Yep. Yeah. So I'm, I'm maybe like once a week, I'm going to try to just make a video that goes just like hella viral, like see how viral I can go as like a game. But that's, that, that's one, I was going to say one tactical example of like the cult hopping. Let's take like midday squares. You know what midday squares is? Those, those like kind of chocolatey. So it's kind of like this, it's, it's branded really well okay. and they've done really well on short form. It's basically like a granola bar, chocolate snack. It's like good for you, high protein, like kind of like a dessert snack during the day, but like really healthy. Okay. I'm so, looking at them now. Yeah. An example would be like level one marketing would be 
look how great we are. We're midday squares. That's that's not really working right now. Level two would be like like cutesy, creative, short form, native, like storytelling, which is what they do really well. And that has worked, that worked really well the last three years. I think that will still kind of work, but a way to cult hop would be you go like several series. You could go to the biggest, most beloved chocolate brand and like play the us versus them. You could play the like attack from below. Or if you don't want to be like negative and divisive, you could cult hop on like a person, a celebrity, you know, loves chocolate that has a cult following and you like place yourself like thinking about what cult can I hop on that will spin me around and amplify me in the, in the way you want. Like not every brand wants to be seen as like, I'm willing to put my nose out into like a fight so you can spin it positively. But like, that was just an idea that came to mind of like every brand can be thinking about this. You don't need a deal with Taylor Swift to make content about Taylor Swift and, and hop on that cult. Like you, you don't really need that. You can do it. You can do it permissionlessly. So that's one trend. The other one that I, I was, I wanted to talk about is this phase world thing. Have you seen this phase world? So it's not, it's not phase clan. It's something else. I did. I saw, which is, which is funny because it's like a, a model that I've been thinking about for a long time. But if you want to, I did see it, uh, $750,000 raise at a $7.5 million, I think post money valuation. But if you want to introduce it, we can then talk about it. Yeah. Let's, idea. let's talk about this. So basically this guy, I think his name's Adam phase. He was creating short form series, right? So I think he, is he most famous for the one keep the meter running, which is like the New York I, cab I, one. I don't know him. It's like that kind of content. I'm kind of like, uh, I don't it's beyond really the individual radar often, you know, but yeah, I don't, I'm not exactly sure who he is. And I don't know. I've never like really watched his content. I, I don't know if it's tied to his brand or like, he's the one that made the shows, but then there's like other actors in the shows. I'm assuming one of his first ones was like him and then he grew, but basically his plan is, I would say like the anti Quibi approach, which is why it's really interesting to talk about. So like Quibi and, and I heard this on a podcast somewhere else, I forget where, but like they were saying Quibi was right directionally that native short form content was going to win, but they were wrong in the execution and that they went top down of like, let's raise a ton of money. Let's get the most famous celebrities. Let's like overproduce the content. Turns out people want the opposite of that. And so what, what I'm seeing with phase world is this is like a really small anti Quibi where he's like, he made native short form stuff that was like low budget and you know, native to the platform, which is what all he could afford or like whatever he strategically thought. And then it worked and he's kind of like, okay, let's build a studio from the ground up in New York. But the sets are like not grungy, but like they're, they're designed, they're not overproduced. They're not like cinema quality. He's actually like leaning the other way where it's going to be like well done, but designed for short form. And I think this is like, I don't know if they're going to win or like if the money model even makes sense for like raising venture for this, but the approach is spot on. I think like this studio model makes a lot of sense to me. Is it all short form? I'm look. I'm looking at it now. Keep the meter running on, on TikTok. I, I thought it was going to be a YouTube show, but it looks like it's a, it's a short form show. I think it's all TikTok bait, like TikTok native. They could probably repurpose, Interesting. but I think it's mostly short form. It is interesting. I mean, like what, what you say about Quibi is a very interesting analogy because you're right. I actually saw that with Quibi from the get go, man. I was just looking at the shows. I was like, none of this is interesting. Um, another thing to talk about, this is very anecdotal, but when it comes to trends, I would say 2021, I was on HBO and Netflix at all times. I'd, I'd get onto the TV. I'd go to HBO, Netflix. I'm never opening up these apps anymore. And I find 99% of everything just very uninteresting. 
um, a show now, like before a, uh, an eight out of 10 could keep my attention. Now it has to be a 10 of 10 for me to even finish the series, right? It has Same. to be succession. It has to be, uh, you know, Game of Thrones level. I can no longer like sit through anything. Like it's crazy. My, maybe it's just my attention span has been cooked, but I opt. I'm now opening up YouTube almost exclusively. Another thing that I love about YouTube, 50% of it is being consumed on TV. This is why Twitter thinks they're going to compete in video. I don't think they can unless they have a product that people can consume away from the mobile device. Um, and, and so, again, just like a greater trend that I'm seeing is like these short-form creators are actually undervalued right now, I really believe. So this guy Kareem looks like Kareem Rama. Uh, he has the right idea. Now, whether they can execute and whether they can pack, like whether it can be lucrative, lucrative enough for advertisers as a short form medium, like short form, there's just so much unpredictability, right? Like, especially on TikTok, man, that algorithm is one that is not as honest, I think, as Instagram is an example. TikTok, you never know. Like you could have a really dope piece of content that 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 does well on other platforms and just flops on TikTok, And it can also be vice versa piece of content that crushes on TikTok and then on YouTube shorts and on Instagram is going to be like cricket. So, um, that, that's a lot of, I think, um, instability for, for advertisers that I don't know. Like, so, so it remains to be seen, but again, directionally, I love the idea. And, um, at a $750,000, I mean, that's a much better investment than the billion dollars or whatever. One <laughs> yeah. <it> would be. <laughs> Well, the, the thing that I keep coming back to is like the eyes are all on short form. People, the brains are hacked for short form. People want short form, but the conventional business logic is like, oh, but short form is not monetizable. Like it's too short, whatever. I just think they're going to figure out a new money model. Like for example, if, and this is the most basic thing. If TikTok put a non-skippable 15 second ad every four videos, or you could pay $10 a month and never have those ads, they would print money. Nobody's, nobody's going to go off TikTok. They're going to get the ad. They're going to see it for two seconds. They're going to put their phone down for 10 seconds. Wait till it's done. It's like a mobile game, right? You know, those like ads you can't skip. Of you course. don't stop playing the game. You just wait till the, for the ad to be over. So that's like the most basic, but I'm, I'm very positive that they're going to figure this out. Another idea I've had for a long time, which I was trying to feed to meta. I cold DM Zuck, no response, but <laughs> the, this is my idea is like when you're watching a video, and like, let, let's say I'm like wearing this and I'm short form as a user or viewer, I should just be able to click on this hat and like auto shop it. Like there, there needs to be a layer that's smart tagged, not, not like to know it on Instagram where it's like they're tagged, but you click it and then you have to like go to a page. It should just be with the AI or, or like with the machine learning, you should be able to just auto tag the products in the video and you could take a rip off that. And like when people are watching native, one click to cart, one click to buy on the video, that doesn't exist today. That's another, like, you gotta build that layer in, of course, if you're the platform, but like, I just, I'm not saying YouTube is not valuable because we both wanna go there and I think YouTube's gonna exist forever, but the, the dismissing of short form as like a viable business, I think we're all overlooking the fact that like the behavior has been hacked to want that. I agree. You know? I agree. I mean, I don't think it'll ever be as valuable as long form just because I don't think there is a short form reel that you could put out that would drive as much affinity from me to you as listening to you on this podcast. Right. I just yeah. don't, I almost like don't think that exists. Um, like the, for a, a real relationship and real trust to be built. Um, I, ju I just think having that time is, is always going to be paramount. But at the same time, you're right. Like, it should not be dismissed. TikTok will definitely, I'm 100% sure of this, let's say 98, they're eventually going to go mid-roll. 
This is why they're pushing longer form videos. There's no secret to it, right? Because there's like right now, as the as the platform exists, a one minute video is not inherently more valuable to that platform than a 10 second video or three second video. The reason that they're pushing it is because eventually they're going to move that product in that direction where they will have optional creator can turn them on or off mid roll, probably five second, like Snapchat did. I think that's maybe even three second um, um, mid roll ads that can then be turned off by buying a premium subscription. So what you just described, I think TikTok is 100% going to go in that direction, which, by the way, is a great move, I think, for creators because, you know, we want them to make more money for us to get a bigger piece of that pie. Yeah. And um, I wonder if Instagram goes that same direction. They have turned on, I don't know if you've seen it, but they, like, I've, <laughs> I can actually show the data. It's, it's, it's like laughable compared to like, say, a TikTok. But the I don't five bucks Instagram, a month you're getting? <laughs> I'm, uh, let me, let me, so like uh, a two million, um, a reel with two million, like, let's say my latest reel did really well. Two million views, 122,000 likes, 30K shares, whatever. Uh, let me show you how much I got paid. Or, let me uh, get, let me guess, let me guess. Yeah, I bet. On. $66 or something like that. <laughs> well, let me, let me make sure I'm in the last seven days. Let me change it to the last. Uh, so in the last seven days, I've earned $6 and 42 cents. Uh, <laughs> in the last 30 days, I've earned $29 and 68 cents. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. My, and so my it, numbers it, are like it, the same. It's a joke. It's a joke. It, it's a joke, but it's like Instagram, you know, Masseri talks about it a lot. It's like, this would be a, we'd lose money. We're a business. We're in business to make money. We'd be losing money if we're paying creators anymore because this is just all that we can afford. Now, if they had like mid-roll ads where advertisers are actually paying real bucks for this, um, it, it's tricky though because I don't know that I would continue watching any TikTok video if a mid-roll ad was presented. Now, if it was like three seconds long, maybe, but if it's like even five seconds, I'm going to be like, I, I don't know. I don't, I, fuck it. I'm swiping, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't know how the economics work. Um, but almost for sure, this is the direction that TikTok will be trending in. But there's a lot of interesting ways they could, t they could do it that are, you got to invent a new advertising model for short form. I think like the one, the non-invented would be like Snapchat or whatever. And yeah. those kind of work. I mean, people pay and creators make a ton. So like that ecosystem is, I guess, fine, but like Snapchat's not doing well as a company, but I mean, what if Instagram became the broker for brands? So it's like, okay, right before you post this video, like Adobe says, Hey, we'll pay you a thousand bucks. If like we can auto put our logo in there, you don't have to say anything about it or change the video, but like our logo is going to go in the corner for 10 seconds. Like there's just interesting ways. I think they can play with it that they, someone should be because all the attention is there. Like you said, news consumption is going there. All the entertainment is there. Nobody cares about TV. Nobody cares about these shows. It's like all anyone cares about is the short form video and I just think it's going to be solved. One, one recommend. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Twitter is like the news spot that people go to today, but the only way for them to win with video, I think is if they juice the algorithm to give you huge reach. If you post video, like right now on Twitter, if we post video, it does terribly. Like I, I, I wouldn't ever post this long form podcast there because it's basically cannibalizing YouTube, which we're getting paid on. But like even the trailer, it, it feels like it's getting suppressed or like I, we, I post my shorts, you post your shorts. It's like the, the, the Twitter user is like not incentivized to like or reshare for some reason. And so the behavior is broken. So yeah. I don't know how Twitter thinks they're going to win with video, but right now, like I don't, I don't see a way. Yeah. The product isn't geared for it. I mean, uh, you're right. Like when I post my short forms to Twitter, they don't do well. I think like the videos that I've done really well have been, uh, horizontal, like formatted for YouTube and like longer form, but they were educational. Um, I don't, 
Yeah, I'm I'm sort of bearish on Twitter. Like for some, like I'm very bullish on Elon as an entrepreneur, as an operator. I'm a little bit bearish on Twitter. I just feel like I use it less and less and less. And again, this is purely anecdotal. But um, the content isn't as gripping to me as it once was. I don't I don't know if that's been your experience as well. And like I said, it's just like a one man's opinion. I don't have like any data to corroborate this, but I wanted to hear uh, what your opinion is on that. Yeah, it's like I, I like I like going to Twitter to finding the AI stuff before it's in the newsletters and then we can make videos on it. But like, it just feels like there's too many in, in a carousel of like 12 posts, six of them will be dumb shit. I don't want to see. And then the other six will be like average. Like it won't be that you'll get one that's good. And it's just too much noise. I feel like, and it wasn't always like that. And I wonder the incentive struck. I don't know if you've, okay, ju- let's talk just AI. Cause I know like we both pay attention to the space um, uh, very deeply does it feel like everything is just the greatest and the craziest thing and the most, and like, there's no it's real annoying. conversation happening. Um, like this last thing, uh, a more inter- like Gemini, uh, was released and everybody's just like chat GPT killer, everything sensationalist. And by the way, I know the game, like on metaverse, these are the kind of like titles and captions that I do because I know it works. And like, again, like maybe it's the incentive structure. It's not any, any fault of any creator, but like on Twitter, this is all that I see now is like ultra sensationalized, and maybe a trend in 24 is like we're going to be going away from that because anytime something really works and everybody starts doing it, it's usually like a great opportunity for you to try and do something different, uh, breath of fresh air. But I don't, if you want to add to that, otherwise I was thinking um, I do have some questions from the mailbag. And Let's one go mailbag. You was about Twitter. And so like maybe we, we do that and get and get through those. Let's go mailbag. Um, yeah. Last time you did the mailbag, asked me this time I got some questions. I asked you none of it. I didn't give you like a heads up. So everything is um, spontaneous for you. Straight off um, the dome. But I got uh, I got four questions that I chose uh, for you. And, Let's uh, do it. And, and I'm curious to see what your thoughts are. So one of them is from PJ, uh, PJ's Films. And he asks, what niches are underexplored right now that um, you would do if you, I don't have the rest of the question there, cut off. Um, so, but let's say what niches are underexplored right now that you would tackle if you were starting from scratch and, and, and just wanted to grow for short form. Yeah. For short form. So I'm going to try to pull up the long, the, the, the actual question could cut off on the screenshot, but go ahead. Yeah. I'll give a, I'll, I'll start with a high level strategy thing while I think of the answer. My, my, the, my, my framing is this idea of like transpositioning. So basically wherever there is high signal that content is working in a different medium that isn't short form is probably extremely ripe to do well. So I guess the question is, can be attacked two ways. One is like, what do people want? And the other is what will do well in terms of growing your account. So I find Twitter is a good place for just getting a signal for like what's interesting that potentially isn't covered in short form. And so what we're seeing a lot on Twitter is longevity stuff. We're seeing a lot of tech forward. I mean, there, there's so much like interesting AI stuff on Twitter and almost none on Instagram and TikTok. That's why we're winning. I feel like big time. So that one's already been played out. Where would I go next? But dude, great thought just to add, cause we talked about it and I want to reiterate it. We, we talked about it in the last pod, a great, great thing to do. If you want to make video content is to search Twitter for the most sort of viral or most bookmarked ideas or thoughts or threads and synthesize that into a video piece of content. It works like nine out of 10 works every times. time. So yeah, exactly. Even if you just go to Trung, go to Trung's Twitter, the stuff Trung curates on his Twitter and his newsletter, I, 
10 out of 10 of those are going to be at least average performing Trung, videos. If, I got to make not. sure I'm, I'm following Trung. Trung fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm following. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah, Because he, yeah. he'll, he'll like, break down, like, the most interesting, weird niche stuff. Like, he's where I found the Oppenheimer thing that I made that went crazy. Oh, dude, and the thing is, his, his last tweet, Taylor Swift on Times Person of the Year, and he... And he, and he goes through how she has three personas. Oh, you just, come on now. That's yeah. 20 million <laughs> yeah. views waiting for you on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm tied now to Taylor Swift forever. Like I think more and it. more Swifties are, yeah. So, so that, yeah, that's a good playbook. It's just like, I don't go on Reddit that much, but I'm sure you could find stuff in Reddit, but like Twitter and email newsletters are a more synthesized version of, because mm-hmm. basically it's like you could Medium go the most. as well. Mediums as well. You go the most raw, which is probably like Reddit, forums like the actual tech blogs themselves the most raw or you can come up a curation layer keep going up i find the highest curated layer is where the best signal to noise is in terms of like what's interesting because those this layer is only going to pull the most interesting stuff from here third layer is only going to pull the most so by the time it gets to the fifth layer you're only seeing the best stuff that's why like most of my stories come from newsletters but i miss some of the cool niche stuff like you find a lot of stuff on reddit that's like you're the first one because you are in the in the raw in the weeds so i feel like if you don't want to go in the weeds the best way is find a platform where it's a different medium i think writing is probably the best and then find like you said find what's has high signal like what resonated with people already just turn that into video i'm trying to think of tactical categories but it really depends on what what, you like what we're trying to uh tackle with pulse so this is what it's doing right now we're just starting with like reddit and like news apis but eventually i want it from me like pulling from everywhere and then figuring out the velocity but but dude medium is another great one i just wanted to mention i'm always like scouring topics on medium and Substack. like you said newsletters it's golden a golden strategy um but yeah any niches that that come to mind that that you think may be uh underserved well i think a huge macro trend is like longevity the like everyone's doing the cold plunge the stem cells the sauna like that whole thing glp ones yeah it seems overplayed to me but that's because i feel like i'm in that pretty deep but glp ones are going to be the next viagra in terms of like game changers for the mass majority of the world and with that will come all these other industries that will get disrupted because there's that many more people that could benefit like if you're obese you're probably not going to go in the cold plunge but all of a sudden you take ozempic for six months you get fit you start buying new clothes you're like oh what else could i be doing and then you start finding these things so i think there's there's never enough health content now like you're probably not going to out huberman huberman in terms of like the protocols, but you could, you could be a news aggregator for interesting stuff in health. I think that's a huge macro trend. Um, I think high paid too. like, there's a lot of money flowing into that industry. And so a lot of that money will find its way into ad spend. And so you can try to capture a lot of that for sure. Yeah. There's another macro trend of like, uh, this maximalization. So we, we went through this huge phase of minimalism where people wanted to like own nothing, like Swedish design, super clean, super like muted colors. We're shifting now into this like maximalism trend where people have like louder stuff, more stuff. It's kind of like if you look at someone's living room, it's like there's stuff, all, not, not, not messy, but like just loud colors and designs and stuff, mm-hmm. which I don't particularly love, but I think there's a trend that way. And so what does that mean? It means like there's a whole new crop of curation for travel, for fashion, for culture, like all this thing around that macro trend. So the problem with creating content where you design, you pick the niche before you start making it is you're probably not gonna be authentically interested in that niche and then you're gonna churn out. So these it's helpful to go through this, but I think the person should think about what they're authentically interested in and then try to do the Twitter to video strategy 
in that category because I think they'll have the most fun doing that. That's my advice as well. If you're just picking a niche because you think it'll be easiest to grow and make most money, you'll eventually, again, you'll burn out. You have to love it and you have to be authentically and genuinely interested in it. So I think that's good advice. Um, Just want to mention too, like Pinterest came out with like their, their 2024 trend predictions based on what they're seeing on the platform. Uh, You should check that out. I don't know if we link it below or whatever, if you're watching on YouTube, we'll see. But um, it's interesting because none of these things have come across my radar just because it's outside of like my, my interest scope. Um, As an example, they're seeing a trend. um, It's called tropic like it's hot. So hold on, it's loading. But they're seeing a trend that in 2024, your favorite food, foods, home decor trends, and fashion finds will get the tropical treatment. Boomers and Gen Z are driving this escapist aesthetic, complete mm-hmm. with hibiscus prints. T- so like things like this, I'm never thinking about. Uh, so I love reading like trend reports just to see what's going on on the internet, like sort of outside of my interest scope. Yeah, um, this is a cool, cool piece to like the way they built it is kind of cool too. Yeah. So another question for you. This is from Tiago Ribeiro on uh, Instagram. Yes. What is the number one soft skill you think made your content better this year? Storytelling all day. It, it literally, I, I say, I, I say storytelling is like, Oh, negative blood. Oh, negative blood is the universal donor. So any, anyone can be wounded in the hospital and someone with O negative blood can give them blood and like save them. Storytelling is the same way. You can go to any media. If you're a good storyteller, you go to any medium and make it work. If you, if you're not a good storyteller or like you lucked into figuring out some hack on one channel, you're not going to be able to go cross channel. You're not going to be able to scale when the, when the tides change. So that it's like that, that is the only answer I feel like. And the best way to get better at storytelling, I think is copy work, which we talked about before is kind of like copy works this idea in, in copywriting where you like literally take someone who's a good writer and you hand write exactly their words so that it trains your brain into like, how does their cadence work? How does their flow work? Like, what, what, how do they structure sentences? I think you could do the same thing in video where like you take one of our videos, you export it off the platform, you put it into Premiere or whatever editing software. And you like, you literally watch the pacing and the way we switch stuff. And like, you just recreate that for yourself. And if you do that a few times, that we're, that's just one format, but you could do that on any, any creator. That's like a good way to, you know, if you don't have a course or like you don't have a, a paid community to go to, that's like a good way on your own to learn, I would say. 100% man I, I don't have much to add to that I think storytelling all day long with without a doubt um, you know I've been I, I had like a little piece of content that I was making around this but like storytelling really is just this cocktail of chemicals that that release from your brain so if you can focus on a way to to have people release dopamine uh, cortisol oxytocin endorphins like and then I the thing that helped me a lot this year to figure out how to do that was I watched every single TED talk on storytellers this is from like Pixar storytellers from the great artists writers, directors of our time. And like, you can find little golden pieces extracted from there that although like they're referring to their own mediums, which is like entire films or books, like you can extract little golden nuggets that then you can infuse into your short form content or maybe long form if if you're a YouTuber or even like if you're a writer. Uh, But yeah, storytelling, I think is the most impactful soft skill to learn. I would also go a step further, not just for, for being a creator, but like as an entrepreneur as well. Uh, and if you study some of the great business minds of our times, really what they are at their core uh, are masterful storytelling. Yeah. Storytellers. So I think that's what well cocktail of chemicals is a bar. Get that on a shirt. Cocktail. I got, well, I, yeah, I have a, I have a, a script written and it's like, you know, uh, I just gotta, I, I want to go all the way. So I want to find like a bar setting where I'm like a bartender. It's, it's like a whole script, but it's like a bigger, it's like an original style thing. So we'll see if I find time or, uh, to get that done. Um, 
next question or last question here. And, and the reason that I wanted to go into the mailbag with the new round of advertisers leaving X, is that platform going to survive? I mean, I know that's like a high arcing question, but do you have any, what are, what are your thoughts on X? I don't know if, you know, like whether it's data supported, whether it's anecdotal, um, where, do, where do you see it heading as a platform? Here's what I think is going to happen. I think, well, as long as Elon keeps funding it, it'll, it'll survive, obviously. That's like not a hot take, but I think X as a data source for Grok, which is like XAI's model, that's going to be its primary use case. So if Grok is, basically Grok will monetize and Grok will be the only buying customer of the data of X. So X as a business on its own probably won't be viable. Like as an ad business alone, I just don't see it working. I don't think the user base yep. is growing. I think like it's too divisive. People churn too much. And I like X and, as like and a And by free... the way, they don't perform. They don't convert. This is like, yeah. not to interrupt you, but this is the thing. People are thinking like, oh, they're not running ads because of uh, some some divisive topic. No, because they don't convert. And Facebook is going to convert at a way higher clip. Facebook, Meta, Instagram, WhatsApp, et cetera. So yeah. but, sorry to interrupt. So yeah. No, no, no worries. Agree. Yeah, the ads don't work. So I, th but I think as a free speech town square, it's vital that we have one place on the internet Agreed. that isn't censored. So I, I like it that it's that. And if it's that, that isn't ad supported profitably on its own, it has to be supported financially some other way. Elon's not just going to burn money forever, I don't think. And so the only way I see is it is the, it's basically getting, let's say it's like, I don't even know what a reasonable number, let's say it costs a hundred million to run X every year. It's basically like, Grok is paying X or XAI is paying X a hundred million for the rights to the data. So it, so that it's a break even proposition. And then Grok as an AI is the thing that's monetizing, which covers the whole thing. I think that's the only way that Elon can financially sustainably keep it. Um, Cause he's just not going to burn like a hundred million dollars a year doing that or whatever the cost is. That's my take on it. Maybe he will because he thinks free speech is so important that like he's willing to just have this burn forever. But what do you think? The, the model I think you nailed, like I think the, the business model that would work is if like this is truly the public forum where free speech uh, exists besides like, you know, uh, breaking any laws or whatever. And because of that, people are always going to use it. Um, and that data set becomes extremely valuable because it's sort of like the most kind of unbiased data set that we have when it comes to like real time AI. That's too. my only thing is and I'm not I'm like I'm torn here. Do I trust Elon Musk? musk to keep it because like when threads came out he was throttling threads right that's not free speech right yeah that, that's there's an agenda behind it and so that showed his willingness to do it so if like i don't know a car manufacturer starts selling more cars in tesla is he gonna start throttling that keyword that's not free speech that's yeah like, true trust. that's like and so like i'm still the, the verdict is still out on whether i like trust elon to keep it free speech now out of all like the sort of tech billionaires i trust him the most I do think like meta is highly, highly, uh, like I'm not, I don't feel comfortable. I wouldn't feel comfortable saying some things on meta. Like, I think that would, I would get penalized for it. I think that's like an, uh, like this pressure that sort of exists on the platform. That's their call. I also think that it probably yields more economic advantage for them doing so because it's an ad supported business and their advertisers are, are sky. So I get it. Um, but yeah, I think the verdict is still out, but I think you're right. Like we do need, it is vital to have a place on the internet where you can articulate your thoughts without being penalized, without being canceled, without taking off platform. Because Twitter before Elon, 
Dude, I, I I've never seen anything like it, man. Like I like you you can you cannot question the status quo, otherwise you were gone. Like they would just yeah. cancel your account. It didn't matter. Like it was, it it was pretty uh, it was pretty scary, man. Like how far they leaned into the censorship, uh, and they really used used Twitter as as a like a just a an attack piece for their agenda. Not to get like into any conspiracy or whatever, but like I saw it firsthand. It was pretty dramatic, especially with the vaccine COVID stuff. You were not able to question it, otherwise you were gone. Yeah. And in a lot of platforms I feel like have that lean, whether they whether it's brutal or not, Twitter's was like the right. most egregious, I feel like. By far, I think. Yeah. Here here's an interesting pre Elon Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, pre Elon Twitter. Here's an interesting question off that about Instagram. Or not even off that, but just like that it popped into my head. Do you think Instagram will ever go to like a TikTok? situation where they'll kill the feed and vertical video will become the like the main consumption source or not? I hope not. I hope not because I actually think it's a competitive advantage that Instagram has. And so uh, I love the fact, like I, I want to get a lot of followers on TikTok, a million followers just for one reason and one reason only so that I can say proudly and people will take me seriously that followers do not matter for shit yeah. on TikTok. <laughs> It is the most pointless, like they don't matter because nobody's, everybody's just on the For You page. When's the last time you've gone to the following tab? Never. The Nobody only time there. I'm on there is when I upload and it auto puts me there and auto, I forget, exactly, I forget that exactly. it's on there. Yeah. And like you swipe out right away. And so that's actually a behavior on TikTok. That's like, I think a detriment long-term as a creator, right? That's why I value my Instagram audience the most because a follow on Instagram is actually meaningful because it's going to show up on that feed. If Instagram just went for, to like a for you tab and got rid of that, I would hate that, man, because it just becomes um, and, and whatever, you know, the game is a game. I'm always going to play no matter what rules they put forth. But I just think that would be detrimental um, as a creator. And one thing, uh, again, like if you don't have a lot of followers on TikTok and you say followers are meaningless, people are like, oh, you're just jealous or whatever. No, like I'm glad that I'm going to have a lot of followers now so I can say uh, triumphantly as matter of factly, it doesn't does not matter in the least bit. It's completely a vanity metric. Um, and so to answer your question, I hope not. Cause I do really think it's a competitive advantage to Instagram, but what do you think? Yeah, I, I hope it doesn't have, I mean, it's, I like the way Instagram is kind of like a portfolio of options in terms of communicating like threads, I guess is a separate app now, right. but like kind of tied, but like, you've got the, the broadcast channels, you've got the feed, the stories, the reels. Like I would even love if there was a way you could easily upload longer form episodes. Like we could put the podcast there and, and we could monetize the same way we would on YouTube. I think eventually we'll get that on threads too. Yeah. That's interesting too. I, the, the thing that I was going to bring up that I saw is I saw someone tweet that for black Friday, their stories were the, by far the biggest driver of like conversion. And I think it's cause it's a much more native link situation like if you have a reel and you you can't i don't even think you can link in the in the description and you're not people going back to bio like doesn't work but stories i guess is the one piece of real estate on instagram where you can like directly say something and then link to it to get action right and so something i've been thinking about and like my my wife was my wife's always right honestly like i just resist what she says and yeah. then i realized four months ago about this she was saying like stories is where it's at and like all people do is consume stories if they're not consuming reels. And I, I yeah. really want to figure out a way to up my story strategy in terms of like using the real estate better. I'm curious if you have any thoughts around that. Cause one thing I tried a couple times was like, I made like five to seven stories about like, like Instagram stories about articles I found that were not big enough to make a, vi a reel about, but like mm -hmm. were interesting to share. And people really liked that. It just like took a lot of work and I felt like it wasn't worth the squeeze. But what do you, what do you think about 
like untapped opportunities or formats for stories. Yeah, it's funny because I know Masseri said that like stories and DM consumption are growing, whereas like feed consumption may be declining. But I've seen the opposite. Like I don't my story views are not anything to like brag about. Um, and they're also very uh, well, I guess like feed posts are as well. Like there's a you know, sometimes I'll get a ton of views. Sometimes they're not getting any views. And I haven't put much thought into like cracking that and like cracking the strategy. Why certain stories get more views? Why others don't? There's definitely a stories algorithm. Right. So the more interesting, the more engaging your stories are, the more time, the more people click on them, like them, et cetera, the more they will be seen. So there's a strategy there. I just haven't spent too, too much time there. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I until have you have something to push, it doesn't make sense to like really, really optimize it. Right. Unless you have something yeah. to link out. Yeah. I know like what um, and your your broadcast channel is dope because like you've figured out like a use case for it. Now you're like giving tips to creators and like what you've learned and, and sharing your process, your journey. Um, I haven't given that much thought yet either to the broadcast channel, but like you said, there's so many like tentacles on Instagram, so many ways to communicate depending on like the importance uh, of the message that you want to send. Um, obviously I think feed is like for the most important stuff Then maybe broadcast channel, then maybe stories and maybe like threads. And, um, but I haven't, I haven't really cracked or even given too much thought to a strategy there, but it's interesting to hear you saying stories were the biggest converter uh, conversion uh, for a lot of brands and Masseri saying that consumption of stories is growing dramatically. So maybe I should, I should give more thought to it. Because think about it. Like, let's say you have Pulse. Pulse is working. And the only two ways you can get somebody, there's three ways you get somebody to Pulse. Like, if you made a reel about it. One is you say it on the reel and you, you, you show the link on the reel and it's like Pulse.com mm -hmm. or whatever. And they go to Pulse.com. Two is you have it in your bio. So you say on the reel, go to my bio. Three is you make a story reposting the reel and you say, like, here's the link. The bio shit just doesn't work because it's it's too many degrees of separation away from the engagement point. And saying it and hoping they organically search, when I'm on the phone, I like don't go to the internet that much. I'm like, I mean, I will if I'm searching for something, but I just like rarely open the internet. So really like the only super native way to link it is in a story. And to your point, like if you have 100,000 followers, you're only getting like 500 story views. But I think the efficiency of, I guess if a lot of people click it, they'll yeah. probably show it to more people. So uh I, I think though the best strategy by far are feed posts are reels and then using many chat keyword. If you're interested in trying out the tool, by the way, just comment so-and-so down below and then you get back to, to the piece of content. So like I'm really, what's big, many really chat. To, uh, so that's the tool that automates uh, DM conversations. So like that's the tool that people use when it's like comment Callaway uh, down below. And, and so like, it's an incredible, incredible tool. I, I've had like so many bugs, like sometimes it just won't work. And then like, I have all these people commenting. So I gotta, I gotta figure all that out, but it's a great yeah. tool. And I think that's the best way to drive consumption to anything is create a really, really dope reel about it at like the 24th second or whatever. It's like, by the way, if you want to know more, just comment this below and I'll send you that. And like, the oh, DM and then you link in the are, DM are really crazy. So like, I think that's the way to do it just because mm -hmm. the most views, the most eyeballs, the more most consumption, at least for the content I'm making is still by far on feed feed posts. Well, and what, one last thing I guess to ask it, cause we're, we're getting long on this, but hopefully this is valuable to people. We're getting in the weeds, but these are like really, really prescient questions to are like really important questions. I think to where we're at. So like when you make a reel and so you've talked about the call to action at the end, like I think you're one of the best at doing this. Cause like the way you deliver your video is no different from how you're like delivering the smooth call to action at the end. So it's, it doesn't feel jarring but what i was always thinking is when you're watching a piece of content and you're like entertaining someone they're almost like in the trance of like watching it and they're like oh this is cool like i'm watching the story 
But then as soon as you ask them to do something, even as simple as like comment Lambo down below for whatever, it takes them out of the trance and ups them into this like, oh shit, am I being sold to? Like it, like the, the, the worry. So I've always been like, I don't want to include those call to actions because I want the whole thing to be a trance. So when they finish, they're like, damn, damn, that guy like really entertained me. But then I'm not doing the like member to follow, you know, member to do. I'm not asking for anything, which is a detriment because then you get no conversion. Yeah. So I, I wonder if you've thought about this and like played with different options. Well, I mean, there's like two schools of thoughts. There's a lot, a lot of the YouTubers that say, um, hey, make sure to subscribe for more content coming up like that. That doesn't work. You know, so so most YouTubers at a high level, are, I think, are just thinking about making the best content possible. And then people will just they'll follow you because of the, they got so much value from it. So I think like that strategy is, is still best. Um, I It's funny because like I don't really have any data that any conversion data. There's some videos that I don't say. There's some videos that are like, by the way, if you want to stay updated on the fast moving landscape of AI, make sure to follow. Like, I don't know how well that converts. So I yeah. can't really speak on it beyond um, gut instinct. Um, but I completely agree with you. Like there are videos that I'm watching. I'm like, Oh shit, this dude knows his stuff. And then he's like, and if you want my free guide on how to do this, yeah, just I hate that. I hate that. I got sold this shit. Yeah. Like, I'm usually not there. I mean, it's usually like, it's gotta it's be much sort smoother. Of like, it's gotta be gentler. So instead of like, and if you want my free guide, or if you want to buy this stuff, so sometimes it's like, and if you want to learn more, I did write about this longer on my new, on my newsletter. You can comment it. Like it's, I think it's gotta be gentle, right? So there's yeah. like this delicate balance that you can strike. Um, again, the thing that sucks is I don't have like any, there's no real like AB testing data. Like I do wish that Instagram would allow us one day to, to upload two different reels to see like what performs best. Uh, cause I think that data is valuable, but every, everything is just sort of gut instinct. But I do, I do think reverse engineering as a consumer, I, I need it to be gentle and not pushy. The only test, I guess, potentially, well, do you have any data from the, you've probably made what, five to 10 reels about a Luna and then linked directly to it. Do you have any data for how many subscribers came from that or not even? Cause it's like all of them, the bro, like those, those, those work so, so well, those work okay. so, so well. And like, I didn't want to like the, the, the ones that I would make about like the control net, about like the logo, about like that kind of stuff. That's what yeah. drove all the subscribers, honestly. Yeah. But those are like um, tutorial based, which makes sense, right? Cause it's like tutorial based and like everything is always, everything was very trend. So it's like, all right, do I want to chase this trend forever? Whereas like pulse, I'm really excited about it because it's like, it's so natural to the content I'm making, um, that, and, and so like I have that data, so I know it'll work now on, on, a, but it's, it's less, it's also less, uh, exciting because like they're, they're not like trends. They're not like fun. Trends yeah. Yeah. That really like capture eyeballs. So we'll see how, how it all works, but I got to get on pulse. I got to, I got to. I gotta either test it out. I'm happy to test it out and like give the team feedback or just use it. But I feel like it's a perfect, perfect fit for like the content we're making. If 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 it, I, if it I like helps, so too. If, if we if we can crack it, so I'd love for you to to test it and, and shit on it. Like make sure we need to make sure it's amazing. Yeah. Dope. Um, Anything else you want to cover? I do want to. I don't know if you want to. Let's talk about creators that we love lately. Okay. Lo like there's so many. Every time I'm scrolling Instagram or TikTok, I'll come across a creator I've never seen where I'm just like, yo wow, like I'm blown away. And so I think that uh, we should be giving flowers uh, to people, you know, especially when, um, especially when weekends becomes like one of the, one of the top podcasts. It's like, it'll be dope if, you know, like you're a weekends featured creator. I think that'd be cool. Uh, badge of honor. So yeah. I don't know if you want to go first or if I should shout a few out. The one, the ones that are top of mind right now is these guys from sweat equity. So it's Alex Garcia, Brian, I don't know Brian's last name, but Alex Garcia and Brian, they're both in Austin. Alex Garcia is behind Marketing Examined, which is like this collection of newsletters that kind of breaks down 
marketing content, whatever D to C, he has like a few newsletters and they're starting to branch into video as well. So he hosted with Brian and then he did an episode, they did an episode with Oren who like we both love, who's sick, like the creator. Crea- One of my favorite TikTokers, man. Yeah. The internet's creative director is what he, is what yeah. he calls it. That episode that Mark. they just dropped is sick, but like in general, I think their pod is similar to ours in terms of, it's just like talking shop behind the scenes, fly on the wall, which is where I think media is going. So they're crushing it. Um, one other call out on that. They launched something called Cut 30, which is like, it's like Dickie Bush's ship 30 for 30 writing, but they did Cut 30 for short form video. So it's Alex, Oren, and this guy Landforce. And basically they've got, they're, they're doing like a co- premium cohort for people who can like make 30 videos in 30 days to like grow their thing. And I went on as like a guest uh, on their call on Monday, but yeah, it's like good energy in there. And I feel like they're, they're approaching it the right way. So I definitely want to call them out early in the podcast game. Sick, man. Um, yeah. I want to call it the, just like four people doing different things. Uh, but one is Sinead Bovell. I met her at the meta event. I just love how the way that she approaches, um, she, her content revolves around like futurism and, and she labels herself as like a futurist, but like the way that she's very thoughtful and like where the future may be going. I love her presentation style. Um, there's another one, Chris Konings, that I just came across who just straps, I don't know if it's a GoPro or Insta360 or whatever to his helmet, and he just takes like really scenic motorcycle rides. And I find it very calming and just, for some reason, it's so alluring. I'm so attracted to this content. I don't know why. I don't, I don't, it's like, uh, it's, it's the just ASMR really of vis- video. Dude, yeah, it's just like this, you just pause and, and take it in, and it's like almost therapeutic in a way. It's just really dope. Um, this other one is the Varun Maya and he's like, um, he's a content creator around AI who I really think serves like the, the greater Indian audience, which by the way, I think like a trend that we want to talk about maybe next pod is the emergence of India, especially in, cause and you just went to India, but especially in pop culture and especially like penetrating sort of like Western culture. I think it's, it's a, it's a massive trend. And so like he does a great job serving that audience, but audiences in general on AI and his presentation style, super dope. And the last one I came across is a guy named Kyle Nutt. It was just like a storyteller, videographer, like uh, content, you know, video, you know, content, super dude. I don't even know how to like label him, but he's just a fantastic storyteller, uh, director. And so those are four creators that I just like recently kind of came across that I'm like, yo, they're dope. I've got two more to add. Yeah. Now that I had a little bit of time to think. Okay. One is, well, Brandino, you know, this guy, Brandino Wang that makes the like, metal uh like housewares kind of but he makes oh, those he's videos got like an interior design firm dude he is, is so bl- sick blanked? yeah blank studios oh, yeah, yeah 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 okay yeah, he yeah. is like no, an unbelievable sick. video editor and like he doesn't even that's not even what he's trying to do he's trying to like make right. super modern housewares uh and he you just got to watch his stuff he's, he's amazing and then the other one is these guys from tms productions which i saw these guys on youtube when they were younger i think they were like a few years ago or uh, it was a few years ago and they were making like, I think they did like a challenge where they were doing either a YouTube video once a week or once a day, but they, they did this thing on short form called a uh, hundred day film school. And these guys are legit. Like they know, they know what they're talking about. They're like setups are cinematic. They're like in the, in the wild kind of doing stuff, but they're, they're really teaching people everything you need to know about making like filmmaking. So like, if you go through their thumbnails, it's TMS productions underscore. If you go through their thumbnails, it's like, H264 versus H265, uh, you know, what's better, 30 frames per second or 24, A7, A7S3 or FX3, like for camera, they're like showing different tricks and stuff. I've, I haven't gone through, I kind of want to just watch from episode one, go through all of them, 
but I, I keep seeing them pop up on the feed and like this guy's pretty engaging. So that's another one. Sick. Love it, Dope. man. Well, with that usual wifey's blowing me up. It's almost my turn to uh <laughs> baby duty. So dude, this is a, it's a great episode, man. I think the, every time, like I feel like it's our most valuable one. Yeah. I hope that trajectory continues to increase. Jam packed, jam packed with value. All right. And it leaves us a lot of stuff to talk about next week. So we're excited. Yeah. Man. We'll, we'll eventually up this to twice a week. Cause I think it'll be needed. We'll do twice a week. We'll have clips. We'll have like some kind of short form stuff. So we're still in the, still in the work in progress mode. But if you're a fan and you got this far, appreciate you guys listening. Yes, Peace. Sir.